we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our emergency freedom alerts for February 19th, 2024. And uh, again, if you're hearing this, it would be good to go back and listen to part one because I think that's a really good segue into what we're going to be talking about next here. Uh, this is Howard Pittman's near-death experience. Now, I've actually met Howard Pittman. It was probably about 25 years ago. It was after, I believe, I came out of the charismatic <clears throat> church. I had a group of people that I was kind of leading. And um, this was one of the <clears throat> people, speakers, that we went to go see after that time period. If, if I'm recalling correctly, I think, I think we saw him speak in Tampa, Florida and um, actually met him. I truly believe this man is the real deal. He's, I think you'll hear by the way the interview goes that, you know, he's not, he's not doing this to get rich. He never did. He's passed away now. Uh, in 2019, I did find out that he wasn't doing that well. And I tried to reach out to him. I would have you know, gotten him whatever he needed on my end from a supplement standpoint. But I didn't hear back from him, and um, <clears throat> it wasn't like I was on a first-name basis with him. I did meet him before, but it had been years since I had seen him. Uh, <clears throat> but this is one of the most compelling testimonies I've ever heard regarding a near-death experience. And it's not a hell testimony, okay? But it does relate heavily, potentially, to heaven and hell, as you'll see. And um, I I'm just going to let this pastor kind of lead us in here because he, he does a nice little segue so i just want to give a little context for the video you're about to see with <clears throat> howard Pittman. Um, i actually flew out to meet with him in june of 2015 on august 3rd 1979 he had a physical attack in his body where a major <clears throat> artery erupted erupted and they basically judged him to be clinically dead it was the encounter that he had after that when his spirit left his body. I first saw Howard Pittman on the 700 Club in 1980. I actually reached out to CBN to see if they could find that old footage. They were unable to, but it was riveting. There's something about when someone has had a near-death experience that's very genuine that grabs you. So this, this is... Uh, this has some intense subject matter. It's very disturbing. There's nothing I've found that Howard Pittman has said that is not biblical, right. but it certainly flies in the face of religious tradition. He was a bivocational pastor. He was a law enforcement officer. He was a good man and a moral man and has children of his own biologically. He's gone to be with the Lord now in 2019, but they adopted, I believe, 32 foster children through their care. Good people, and yet, when he left his body and the Lord began to encounter him, he said his life was an abomination because he served him in a pharisaical fashion of dead works. <clears throat> so there's so much more that I could say, but I wanted you to understand the context it is one of the most riveting things. I could say a lot more, but I want to have you be able to get right into the video. And I trust that it'll be a blessing to you. Okay, Brother Howard, I thought if we could just start from the beginning. So remember, this is in 2015 he's being interviewed. Uh, and it looks like they're in a church. And uh, this pastor you just heard is interviewing Howard Pittman. 
and uh, you had an encounter where something physically happened. Could you share that story with us? Yeah, this was uh, August on August 3rd, 1979. I was involved at that time in a political campaign. I was running for sheriff, criminal sheriff, office of criminal sheriff. And um, there was about seven of us in the race. <clears throat> the primary election was going to be held on August 7th, 1979. And on the first day of August, we took a little unofficial poll. According to that poll, I was one of the leading candidates that was going to be involved in that. And uh, uh, there was one particular bank in the community that uh, was very important in politics. And Ida Deese worked in that bank, and she made an appointment for me with the president and some of the members of the board of directors trying to solicit their support for my campaign. And uh, I went down that morning. I got up. I wasn't sick. wasn't different from any other morning. I was slightly nauseated because of sinus problems. I'd had sinus problems for years, and this is sinus country. Here, it's what they call the pine belt. And uh, the doctor said, there's no allergy like pine allergy, you know. So anyway, uh, I skipped breakfast and went to town to, and, uh, to keep my appointment. And when I arrived at the bank, my niece, who worked in the bank, looked out through the plate glass window. She saw me coming. I got out of my car and went across the street, and she got up from her desk and came to the door to greet me. With one hand, she opened the door, and others reached out to greet me. As I stepped in the door, I dropped to my knees, and she grabbed me. What's the matter? I said, I don't know. All of a sudden, I just lost my strength. Something's wrong with me. I canceled my appointment. I'm going back home. I turned around, went back to my car, and sat down. That's when the pain hit me. <clears throat> like a mule would keep me in the midsection and consume my entire body. So <clears throat> all I could think of was go home, go home. Now, he's not going to say until a little bit later but what's actually causing this, but it, he will get into that. <clears throat> I was within a mile of the hospital, <clears throat> but I didn't go to the hospital. Instead, I started up my car and I started home. About halfway, uh, I live 11 miles from the bank then, <clears throat> about halfway home, I suddenly stopped breathing. I felt as though my clothes were literally smothering me to death. I brake my car right in a stop in the middle of a busy highway. And I felt that my clothes were smothering me. And I started just trying to tear out of them. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow I realized I had panicked. And when I forcefully calmed myself down, I could breathe with difficulty, but I could breathe. And I knew I was growing weaker because I was hemorrhaging massively. I was able to start my car and I made it the rest of the way home. <clears throat> when I got there, <clears throat> no one was home. Wife was going somewhere, the kids was all going to school. But I struggled to get out of the car. Can't Everything's kind of hazy about how long it took me to get out of the car. I just can't. But anyhow, I made it in the house and fell on the floor right inside. I hadn't been there very long till she came in. My wife came in. One look, she recognized the gravity situation. She got me up, back out into the car, and rushed me into the town, to the very town I just came from. 
right up in the family clinic. And just as she parked, one of the doctors pulled in his park right in front of us. Well, she ran around, opened the door, and tried to pull me out of the car. By that time, I was so weak I couldn't even lift my hand. I'd lost so much blood. And when she pulled on me, I literally fell out of my car on my face. And the doctor stepped out of his car. He saw this. He rushed over to give a <clears throat> one look. He knew I was already in shock. Now, they didn't know what had happened to me because I was in shock, but he knew that I was in shock. Later on, they told me what had happened. There is a main artery that runs across the back of the stomach. An ulcer had formed on that artery. Well, they called it silent because it it's gave the abdominal aorta, aorta. And he had an abdominal aortic aneurysm, which, <clears throat> just so you know, that's from what I've seen from the research I've seen, that's typically one of the main causes for that is low copper. Uh, your your veins in, in your arteries need to have copper. And really, copper goes hand-in-hand hand with bioflavonoids and, like, vitamin C. Uh, they're all related. In fact, the vitamin C complex actually has organic copper as part of the complex. Like, if you got it in, like, an orange, it's not typically going to occur uh, unless you get it in the form of, like, uh, uh, fruits and these types of things. Uh Buckwheat is real high in bioflavonoids. So that's one of the things you could do to prevent this. This isn't a, a matter of him being plaqued up. It was a matter of him being most likely low in copper, possibly bioflavonoids, um, and uh, maybe even vitamin C that would set you up for that. <clears throat> no symptoms. And it had slowly eaten away the wall of that artery until it ballooned out. They call that aneurysm. It just kept on ballooning out till it reached a place that the wall was so thin. The day I stepped in, in the hospital, I mean, in the bank door, the, it had reached the place the wall was so thin it couldn't withstand the fresh pressure, the heartbeat. It just popped like you popped a balloon. And that was the massive hemorrhage. Well, <clears throat> they rushed, they called an the ambulance. They rushed me from the uh, local hospital, from the local clinic, family clinic, to the local hospital. They kept me there overnight. The next morning, three times during the night, they brought me out of shock. The next morning, my doctor come in and said, "We got to move you. We got to have more equipment. We got to have more skilled technicians. We got to have them in a hurry. So we're going to send you to the uh, regional medical center at Macomb, Mississippi." They put me in an ambulance, hooked me up to all that machinery, assigned my wife, allowed my wife to go with us, assigned a paramedic to attend to me, and we took off post-haste. 19 miles before we reached that hospital, I lost consciousness. I passed into a world of darkness. I mean, it was so dark that there's no words in the human language to describe crossing the veil. <clears throat> but I passed out in this darkness. I felt, I really felt abandoned all alone. First time I'd ever experienced that kind of darkness. There was no light. And then all of a sudden I saw something that come right out of the top of that darkness. And it was like a, a, a tape that was just twirling around like this as it come down. You, you ever seen those confederate, confederate, confederate 
parades in New York where they throw that confetti out the window and just twirls down. That's what the thing looked like, a single one. And it came, and I watched it. It came all the way down right in front of me. I can't tell you how I saw it because I saw it with no light. No light at all. It's total darkness. But I saw this thing. Just like this tape, it comes right in front of my eyes and turns just like that three times. And every time it turns, I'm reading it. It's a verse of Scripture, Hebrew chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto all men once to die after this to judgment. It is appointed unto all men once to die after judgment. Three times that thing turned. And three times I read it. When I realized then, this was God's way of supernaturally revealing to me that I had met my appointed time to die. We all know we got died. But you know, being human, we've dealt with that. We dealt with it in our subconscious. Actually, in reality, we look at death, physical death, as something that happens to others. It don't happen to others. We just put it out of our mind and keep going. If it didn't, it'd drive us crazy. We just put it out of our mind and keep going. But when you come to the realization that it's not others, it's you, it takes on whole new perspective then. I didn't want to die. I left home to win an election, not to die. To uh, die would be total defeat. So I prayed a very short and pointed prayer. I asked God to extend my life. I was familiar with the fact that he has a precedent in his word for extending life because he extended Hezekiah's life for 15 years. Yes. And I knew that. So I asked him to extend my physical life. And then that's when I had the first ever supernatural encounter. <clears throat> Out of that vast darkness come the most beautiful voice I've ever heard in my life. There's no music created that would, would any way mimic the beauty of that sounding of that voice. As the voice spoke to me, the voice said to me, Stop. No more pain. Peace, rest, security, all that you've ever wanted, just don't breathe. I'm breathing by willpower at that point. Every breath is took all the strength I could get in, and when I got it area, it took all the strength I had to get it out. I'm breathing by willpower. And he's telling me, stop, don't breathe. And my spirit was saying to me, listen, God speaking, God speaking, he said, don't breathe. And then I got, to, I got to try to shut it down, what I'm doing. And then the realization hit me as though I screamed as loud as I could in my spirit. No, what am I doing? I just asked God to extend my life. Don't breathe, I'm going to die. You are not God. With that exclamation, Satan fled from me. So this voice, you had just asked the Lord to spare your life, and a beautiful voice said, just let go. Yeah, but look what he said. Listen, you see, just what he said tells what I'd been taught on my security. Security. That's what Baptists teach. Once you save, you save forever, no matter what. That's what they teach. Security. And he used that on me right away. The first thing he used, security, 
peace, rest, all you've ever wanted, just stop breathing. There in the valley of death at the door, he lied to me. He told me he was God. He couldn't kill me. He had to get me to kill myself. You better know the spirit that speaks to you. We're all going to come to that same place. I call it the veil. <clears throat> the veil is, is not in this world, and it's not in the other world. It's the door between the two. We all got to go that way. Christians refer to it as crossing Jordan. I believe it's also the valley of the shadow of death. It's probably another term for it. It's when we pass from this life to the life to come. Once you cross that veil, flesh and blood can't cross it. It can't cross it. So that's when the angels took my spirit out of my body. And we went from darkness to light, just like that. Out of darkness into light. I'd crossed the veil. I was on the other side. The first thing they brought me to see was a verse of scripture being acted out like a stage play. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, word pruel, powers, word pruel, rulers of the darkness of the world. I think the word is plural, powers. He's, you know, there's more than one. Measure of our enemy. There was this, looked like a long table with all these beings sitting around. The devil himself is sets it in. And all these spirits are princes that operate the principalities of the dark world. That's where the warfare plans for spiritual war is actually designed and planned. And that's, again, where Ephesians 6 refers to that, and that's why it tells you to put on the full armor of God. So he's being shown this. Uh, before the next part. He's being shown this, given a tour by these angels of this. Satan does nothing without plan. He plans everything. Everything is planned. It's right down to the... Uh, so let me show you how it works. Every one of those people, uh, not people, spirits sitting at that table had a principality. He has divided the world into principalities, territories. Over these territories, he puts a prince. Each prince is given as many demon spirits as he needs to carry out his plan for that principality. You take some continents might be one principality because they might no threat to the kingdom of darkness. Where there's no threat, no major threat to the kingdom of darkness, one prince could handle a whole continent, right. let's say. And again, like in Daniel, where it talks about the prince of Persia, um, <clears throat> that was the angels that were trying to get to him when he was doing the Daniel fast, the 21-day Daniel fast. The Prince of Persia <clears throat> um, was hindering uh, the angel trying to get to him, and then Michael the archangel came and fought against the Prince of Persia. Uh, so the, the Bible does speak of these things for sure. But America is many principalities. There's many threats. Right. Even down to an individual could be a principality depending on what the threat is. But this is how that thing works. As I watch, And again, it, as wicked as America is, when we just talked about that in the first part, uh, there's also a lot of very potentially gigantic threats here. 
um, you know, we have been the reason for more missionaries that have gone out into the world than any other country. We have put out more gospel tracts than any other country, probably times who, who knows how much. Yes, there's a lot of wickedness that's also proceeded forth. You know, we're the main place where pornography is put out we were the ones like they talked about when roe versus wade and then that's kind of spread to the whole world the whole concept of abortion on demand um you've got hollywood uh you've got our wicked government <clears throat> you've got so many different things that where but there's also been at the same and, and again if you were saying who would you target areas where are you already kind of have under control or would you really try to defile and target the area that's maybe done in any, in, I, I think you'd say modern times done more to advance the kingdom of God than any other country, America. So it, it, it's a mixed bag. And it's, and obviously as of now, it's not, you know, we're, we're not exactly doing that great, but you, you look at the last, you know, two, 300 years or whatever. And, you know, it's a, it's kind of a bigger, different overall picture. And I, you can understand why Satan would target the United States so much. <clears throat> They let me see part of a plan that really shook me up because I knew about the plan. I call it a skeleton. It was just an outline. And it was the same identical outline that John was able to see, and he wrote about it in Revelation uh, chapter 13, beginning at verse 7 through 9. And this really shook me up. Now, remember, too, this is Howard Pittman. He's 86 years old when he's doing this interview, most likely, if it was 2015. So bear that in mind. <laughs> Revelation. <laughs> Let me get to it. I want to read that. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Revelation 13, 7 through 9. The master plan to capture the world, to capture church. That's why we've got cotton candy religion today. What is cotton candy religion? Hot air. Doctrines of demons, Paul called. Hot air. That's what cotton candy religion, that's what we saw in the Super Bowl, that church. Hot air. It's it's cotton candy. It's a demon being expounded from the pulpits of so many churches today. Mm -hmm. He's captured the church, what he said he was going to do. And he's done it. <clears throat> He's already got it. When they brought me, first, they let me see this guy. That's the first thing I saw was this outline. This outline. They let me see that. So John the Baptist wrote about it because I was very weak on spiritual warfare. I'm Southern Baptist. You know, we didn't have too much teaching in that area. Then, in fact, I'd, I'd never heard but one sermon in my entire life that ever mentioned the devil. I mean, I came out of independent fundamental King James only unincorporated. That was another. And I, I didn't hear much about it either. And uh, that was when I was 12 years old and it scared the devil out of me. 
So that's when I first came to the church, you see. And then no more. Even in the seminary, he was never mentioned. Didn't mention the devil, didn't mention the demons or anything. It was the ministry of the children that first opened my eyes as we brought these children into our home. Most of them had been used, misused, abused. He took in 32 foster kids over their life. 32. For instance, the last girl, the last child they brought into our home, state rescued her that day. She was locked up in a cage with a cat. She's only 18 months old, this little girl. And that, she, the only thing that they said that she'd had to eat for that solid week was the drop-ins of that cat. And that demon-possessed individual that had that little girl got his jollies off by putting his lighted cigarettes out on the bottom of her feet. You ought to have seen her feet. Oh. You see, these, this is not 18 human. 18-month little girl. Something beyond humanity had to do that. This is not human. Right, right. And, and they're, again, they're vessels for Satan. They're just vessels of wrath. They're just on absolute, total, demonic autopilot. They're not, they're just a shell for demons, essentially, animated by demons, you know. Uh, it was those children, how they had been abused, misused, neglected, and all of them was crying for help. And they came to my house, expected me to help them, and I was the least prepared person in the world. I had no training in the spiritual war at all. Hmm. I didn't even know. But as I looked at them, I knew that there was a force out there far greater than I knew about. And that's the first thing God took me to see. Wow. He educated me quickly. He showed me how this is done by design now he's got a whole series of booklets i used to have them and i'm, I'm trying to reorder them again but I, I was on the website and i don't know if there's a glitch in the website or at least it was just me i tried to order a ton of these booklets and um because i want to reread them i don't know what happened to mine but they're only five bucks a piece you know <laughs> his family has kept the website going his family, I mean, they didn't increase the prices. They're $5 booklets. But the booklets tell you all the other different things that the Lord showed him. This is just one part. Uh, but he shows them the whole hierarchy of devils and demons and how they operate in the world. And, I mean, I'm, I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's really amazing. Spiritual war is done. And how they operate on two emotions in that world. Hate and fear. They hate all humans and they fear their bones. There's no love in that. They all. fear they fear Satan and they hate all humans. That's that's all they operate off in, in the realm of, of the demonic, the fallen angelic, the devils. That's the only thing they operate off. And that's why he has enforcer enforcing the, the rules of the satanic world. It is a world without love. There's no love at all there. It is operated by fear and hate. They hate all humans, and they fear their boss. They fear him. Now, <clears throat> people don't pay any attention to this. But Satan, show you how devious he is, took one-third of the angels of heaven with him in his rebellion. What did that tell you? When you think about this, there's no dummies in the angel corps. And yet he deceived one-third of the angels. Hmm. How did he do it? 
This tells about his ability. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says he's the God of this world. That word God is not a name. It's title. It's translated from the Greek word theos, from which we get our word theology. The definition of English, English in English is divine ruling magistrate high potentate. Think about that. That's his title. Divine means set apart, put above. Ruling magistrate. Who is a ruling magistrate? One that has authority by law to control the conduct of those under his jurisdiction. That's why Satan says 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, verse 26, he can take any lost person at will. He's a divine ruling magistrate. Not long ago, I had a lawyer call me from New York. He says, I have a, a man up here charged with murder. He's got a copy of your book, Demon's Eyewitness Account. It says in there, the devil can make people do what he wants. He wants you to come up here and testify that the devil made him do it. I said, well, I, if you send me a subpoena, I'll come up here and testify what the Bible says. Just what I wrote, what it says. He says, okay. Two weeks later, he called me back. He says, I said, he said, I'll get the subpoena. Two weeks later, he called me back and said, the judge, get out of here, man. I ain't opening that can of worms in this court. So. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> he let me see the God of this world at work. <clears throat> and he is a God. All them people out there serving him, they don't know it. They don't know it. The strongest one are his princes. They're at the top. They're, they're from the giant warring order of demons. They, they, they were actually actually um, uh, angels yeah. who, who fell with him. And uh, angels are, you know, they got some angels that look like animals, some that look like birds. They're, they're all described in the Bible. And uh, they got the, the guardian angel looks just like a human being. Mm -hmm. And this is why Revelation says, I mean, uh, Hebrews says, when you deal with when you deal with strangers, be careful. Many times you deal with angels unaware. That's right. Notice how good he knows the Bible. I mean, he is right on the money, just quoting all these, quoting King James, and he, he the, the man knows his Bible really good. You, you good works you took in abused children. Uh, you were a police officer. You served. But something happened where he said your works weren't acceptable to him. Yes. He says, um, well, when, when, when I stood before him to plead my case, see, the angels brought me there to plead my case. Because I, all the time I kept asking him, is he going to let me live? I knew that my spirit had been crossed, had crossed the veil. Flesh and blood can't go there. And I knew the only way I could come back, God would have to permit it. Right. Come back into his body is what he means. Now he'd been shown that thing with Satan and his princes and stuff. He'd been shown, and then he, I believe, they took him to the. It wasn't in heaven, but you're going to hear he was at the the gates, basically of heaven. And I kept asking the angels every time. Uh, I still, no matter what I saw, I still was in love with this old piece of clay. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. He said, but no matter what what I said. No matter what I was shown, basically, I was still in love with this old piece of clay, meaning his body. 
because we're created from the dust of the earth, essentially, like like Adam. <laughs> so he wanted to go back. <laughs> so they brought me there and let me plead. Brought me to the gate. They wouldn't let me. I didn't go in. I came to the gates of the third heaven, and, and they, they told me. I watched 50 saints being perm permitted to enter the gates of heaven, but they didn't let me go in. They said they stopped. So he watched 50 people that were Christians that died he watched 50 of them go into the gates while he was there. It was a 15-minute period. The angel stopped me there and says, well, I got to the gate. And he says, if you go in, you can't come out. you got to stay till he brings you back. I said, if I can't come out, then that means my physical life is over. And you told me I could ask him. Angel said, you can ask him, but you stand outside this gate and ask him. And so I did. I came and I... I uh, I, I was allowed to plead my case, so and I was uh, my, I was I was pleading to God I couldn't see, but I knew it was total silence while I pled my case. I was telling him all. I reminded him of all my good works. I told him about all the things that I'd done, all the things that, that's what I was basing on on my my good work. I told him about all of that. <clears throat> And when, when I, he was never said a word till I finished. When I finished, then he answered me in a voice that sounded like thunder. Wasn't anything like the voice that Satan had used on him. He says, he started, I'm going to try to quote verbatim exactly what he says. Your faith is dead. Your works are in vain. The life that you lived and offered to me as a life of Christian service is an abomination that I rejected in the Pharisee. What made you think I would accept it from a Laodicean-type Christian? In fact, untold millions are living the same kind, life, same kind of life that you live, and they stand in danger of my everlasting wrath, unquote the living God. I couldn't believe he was talking to me. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I just told him about all my good works, what I'd done, you know. And, and I said, no, Lord, don't you wait. You don't understand. He said, you didn't do those works for me. You did them for a false god. I said, Lord, I worked for you. I called you Lord every day. Yes, you did, but you never made me Lord. What a difference. To call him Lord gives him a title. To make him Lord promotes him to ruler of life. Who is your Lord? But Lord... I was serving you. No, you wasn't. You served a false god. Then he named him. Satan's number one selling false god. S-E-L-F. -L. Instantly. I knew everything. Self. Self. This, the number one god that Satan gets people to worship. The god of self. So in other words, the works that he was doing, I don't know if he was deep down doing it to be seen of men to be, and I don't want to judge him. I really don't want to judge Howard Pittman at all. But from what God said, he was serving him in a pharisaical way, like the Pharisees and Sadducees. And remember, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceed the Pharisees and Sadducees, you will no, no wise enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, what were the Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, they were they were doing it to be seen among men. They, they, they loved the uppermost seats in the synagogue. They... Um, loved all the benefits and perks of, of all the adulation they got. And, and, you know, again, I don't want to judge him, but I'm assuming that 
it was along those lines. And the thing is, is it appears, I, I, I think he was saved. I do, because they said, if we let you in, you can't go out. Well, if he would have got in, when it sounds like he could have went in, he would have been saved, but the Bible says, yet so as by fire. When it talks about the judgment seat of Christ, where your works will be judged as uh, wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, precious stones. The fire will come down at the judgment, and it will judge your works to see what sort they be, is how the Bible refers to it as. Wood, hair, stubble would obviously be burned up by flames. And that person is like, I think what he's in reference to here, pharisaical service, maybe to be seen among men, not doing it for God, that type of thing. And um, there, those works will be burned up and you will be saved, yet so is by fire, okay? Now, again, I don't understand the full concept of that, but that's what the Bible does say about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, for those that brought uh, precious stones, gold, and silver before God, when the fire comes down, it purifies those and makes them even purer. And then those will be, I don't know, rewards, I'm assuming, in heaven, that type of thing. He said was true. Had he reached down and picked me up and dropped me in hell, I would have said amen. Wow. But I couldn't move. I'm laying on my face in the spirit. I couldn't move. I couldn't move. <laughs> they came and angels came and took me away. They took me out and let me regain my composure and brought me back and let me plead the second time. Second. So he, he had to be humbled. And I don't know, maybe that was a problem as well is, is from a humility standpoint. Maybe... He was serving, he called God Lord, but then he was trusting in his works and maybe he was doing it in a pharisaical way and maybe he was not, maybe he was like, well, look at all the stuff that I'm doing and and, and I'm I'm pretty good. And, um, and so that's not exhibiting humility before God. So he was forced into a position where he was on his face. And the Bible says to this man, while well, I look to of him that is a humble and contrite spirit and trembleth at my word, he needed to be brought to that point. Um, and so again, I am, there's no judgment on my end on any of this. Okay. I'm just trying to kind of interpret this for you all, hopefully from a biblical standpoint. Time. I never opened my mouth. Then he began to talk to me in a compassionate tone. Yeah. And because when you humble yourself before God, typically that's when, you know, he will reach out to you in compassion. You can't come to God boasting of your works and all of these other things. And that's not humility. That's pride. And so then God changed his tone when he was on his face and he couldn't talk anymore. And the angels had to take him away and bring him back. He said to me, suddenly I realized this is my father and I heard him. He was hurting for me. Oh, The God that created all of this was hurting for me. The smallest, insignificant piece of flesh that he had, he was hurting for me. Nothing mattered now. I didn't ask him for my life. I didn't ask him for anything else. But when this life meant nothing, he gave it back. Sent me back to do what I'd done. Pay, give me a five-point message for the church and give me, placed two restrictions on me. Restriction one was that I was not to ask anybody to hear this because he was sending me to his church. I didn't know what it, what was his church, but he knew which one was his church. He was sending me to his church. All I had to do was go wherever I'm asked. 
When I get an invitation, put it down. Get to it when I can. And if I'm not supposed to go there, he'd close the door. But if he opened the door, no man would close it. And that's the way it's been ever since. The five-point message he gave me, the point one, this is number one point. This is the Laodicean church age in which we live today. This is the Laodicean church age where the overwhelming majority of so-called Christians are just that, so-called. They're mouth professors and not heart possessors. And unless they wake up, he's going to spew them out of his mouth. He promised to do that, you see. But he gave them a chance. In his word, he gave them a chance. If they wake up, if they wake up. Okay, so I just want to I want to elaborate on that just a little bit. Laodicean church, and I've said that many times. I've had some people, not lately, but over the past, saying, mock me for calling this the Laodicean church age. And I'm like, man, if this ain't the Laodicean church age, I don't know what is. Revelation 3.14, And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus, essentially, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I wert that thou were cold nor hot, cold or hot. Uh, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind. So in God's eyes, that's how the Laodicean church age uh, is, is by and large looked at. And I think we could, if ever there was a time that was the case, I mean, man, look at part one of the study. You know, I think that would uh, be pretty, and that's why I said part one is tied to part two. You know, I, I could have covered, you know, probably a hundred other topics relating to the Laodicean church, but I, I think those are two big ones. Um, and then I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment which is like the righteousness of the saint saints um, white raiment has to do with the righteous life that you live uh, that thou mayest be clothed in the shame of thy nakedness thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent that's what it, that's what God's saying to the Laodicean church here uh, behold I stand at the door and knock if any man will hear my voice and open the door I will come into him and will sup with him, meaning he'll have supper with you, and he will, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even also as I overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto his churches. And that was the last church that's talked about in Revelation. We're at the, we're at the very end time, last part. We're in that exact time frame. Okay, we're in the time frame of Second Thessalonians chapter two, Matthew twenty-four, um, Revelation from four, well, from this part uh, on in Revelation, and a lot of Daniel and a lot of other places in the Bible too. All right, so let's go back. Number two, your adversary is a personal and powerful adversary, Satan the devil. He is, or he is anointed. <laughs> Point number three, if you ever, ever expect to have any of God's power manifest in your life, you're going to have to live the life, not talk. You got to walk it. And point number four, as it was in the days of Noah, 
so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. I mean, how many times have you heard me say that verse? I mean, now I, I understand a lot of times that's in the context of the Nephilim and the sons of God and uh, so the daughters of men and, you know, the offspring they produce. But it's also the days of Lot. And we're seeing all that wrapped up into the day and time we're living in. What he's saying there, keep your eye on the eastern sky because your redemption draws nigh because we have reached the days of Noah once again. And we look in history and in the Bible to see how it was in the days mm -hmm. of Noah. And we see that mankind had but two priorities, wealth and pleasure, wealth and pleasure, wealth and pleasure. Everything else is secondary. That's where it was in the days of Noah. And he said it was going to be that day at well again. And we have reached that stage. Point number five. Now this is one that really, the main one, the one that he sent me back for. And a lot of people can't comprehend this. What he said was, let me go back to Matthew. Matthew, in writing, was quoting John the Baptist when he said this in chapter number, chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. He said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, so to speak, is going to come with fire. He's going to burn up the chaff in the, in the Christian. So a lot of people think that uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidence speaking in, uh, in tongues. Well, it, it might be, but by the same token, the real evidence is the fire burning the chaff out of the individual. The fire burning the chaff out of the individual. We mean God's progressive chastening as once you're saved because of whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. That's a big sign that you're actually saved. If you can go and sit like these people at this Super Bowl church, you know, they're just going their merry way, prospering, whatever. That is a gigantic sign they're not saved. I mean, obviously you have the obvious evidence and fruit of look at what they're doing. Look at what they're condoning. But there's no chastisement of God on them because they're not God's children. They're not his. He's not going to spank them or correct them when they're not his. Because if you are without chastisement, then you're bastards. It's one of the signs, one of the main signs that you actually are saved is when that happens. So, I mean, I've had, boy, boy, I've had a lot of that over the, over the years and, but not everybody is the same level because man, I had so much of the world in me, as I kind of described you in part, uh, one and everything, I had so much of the world in me that needed to be burned out, you know, whereas somebody like my daughter, Taylor, she doesn't have, I raised her totally different. I didn't raise her the way my parents raised me she got saved when she was five i mean she was you know she doesn't have all that baggage and, and all that um that would where it would require all this chastisement that i had to go through 
everybody's different is, is the point I'm trying to make. Okay. Um, so it just, that's just something to bear in mind. And that's going to take tribulation. How would you summarize that fifth point then? The tribulation, it's going to take tribulation to get through all the chastening that God has to, it's the, well, the Bible talks about, um, like the pruning of the plant. Um, the, the pruning of the vine, I believe in John, uh, 15. So why, why does he, why does he prune us so that we can bear more fruit when you, when you have a, a tree and it has like, let's say some branches that are kind of withered and they're, and they're useless or whatever you prune those branches so that the tree can grow new branches or maybe the branches that are good can bear better fruit. That's why God prunes us. That's another way of chastening us. Okay. There, there's a lot of different analogies about that, uh, in the Bible. But it's not a fun process to get pruned or chastened or these types of things. But it is evidence you're a child of God. The fifth point is the baptism. baptism of the Holy Spirit. True baptism of the Holy Spirit. We got some people that come to church and talk in tongues all day and go to the honky-tonk first thing Monday morning. <laughs> you know, they talk in tongues all day and go to the honky-tonk. Let me tell you, I was in the charismatic church where tongues were done in the most unbiblical way. I've been around some of the most crazy charismatics, but we were the group that I ran with. We were considered the, the big spiritual, I don't know, the big spiritual chiefs of our church and, 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 and the, the ones that were most serious. And I came to find out kind of toward the end and afterward, what kind of wickedness was going on in that very group I was running with and I could not believe the debauchery that I found out was going on in the very group that I was running with. Some of them had come out of the charismatic church with me, not all, but a lot of them had. And I had no idea until later that this was really going on. Um, I just, I, I was, it was mind blown when I found out and I found out from in different ways and different from different people. And di I mean, I wasn't even really pursuing the information. It was just kind of put in my lap. So praying in tongues was no evidence of some kind of holy uh, lifestyle behavior. I think they, a lot of times tend to hide behind that. And I think a lot of the tongues they're praying are demonic and it's actually strengthening the demons uh, by doing that. So it's, Charismatic church, man, is, ooh, that, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. They are. You know who they are. But the fire is coming. The true baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to bring fire in the, the chain for the life of the individual. That's your five points for the church. And that was the message the Lord gave to you. Right, to come right. To share. The five-point message to the church. And the fun, fun, I didn't know where the church was because everything it calls itself is church is not a church. Right. Brother Howard, you talked about you saw a certain amount of people die and enter heaven. But yes, at the same time, how many, what was it the Lord showed you about people that didn't make it? 97% didn't make it. 2,000, they showed me his harvest for 15 minutes span of time. 15 minutes about that, that occurred August 3rd, 1979, from where the paramedic judged my body to be dead until it arrived at the hospital. In that 15 minutes, 
50, I, I was allowed to see 50 saints that go into heaven. That was some total of his harvest on planet Earth for 15 minutes span of time. In that same 15 minutes, 1,900 and, and, and uh, more people died. 950 more died. Only 50 out of 2,000 made it, 2.5%. 2.5%. In the 15 minutes, this was 1979. So that means that nine, 1950 went to hell and 50 went to heaven. Now, you also have to understand, most of these people aren't Christians. Most of them are, are, are you know, Muslims and in, in, uh, I mean, you've got so many pseudo-Christian religions. Uh, you've got Zoroastrianism, you've got Islam, you've got Buddhism, you've got Hinduism, you've got all these overt religions that Satan already has. So this is including all of that. I mean, to me, that's the most sobering part that... 2.5, and that was in 79. It may be less than that now because the world's gotten more debauched as, as we talked about in the first part. Only 2.5% were making it to heaven in 1979. Out of a 15-minute period, he was allowed to observe. It's, it dovetails with just exactly what he said in Matthew 7. Sorry, I'm having some audio issues here for many will say to me in that day but lord lord have we not preached in your name have we done many marvelous works in your name in your name have we done all this work and he will say depart from me and i renew you your worker of iniquity i never knew you you were never saved right not that you were saved one day and turned you back you i never knew you right he never you were never knew. mind right Two and a half percent. Now, they let me see that because on August 3rd, 1979, that was the condition of the planet Earth. Had that been the day the trumpet would have blown so loud it would wake the dead, he would have got two and a half percent of the population of the world. Two and a half percent. He, he, tour, he allowed me to tour the second heaven, which is Satan's kingdom. He allowed me to tour the whole kingdom and see the different spirits that, that, that it has. And uh, that was the first thing because I was weak. I was weak in, in that training. I, I, you know, sometimes I remember in the seminary we had professors come and tell us one time teaching how to go to heaven was like climbing the mountains. They got somebody come up that side, somebody up this side, somebody up this. But when they get there, they're all at the top. Well, that, right now that's a doctrine that's very popular in the Christian church. Now I don't know if that means they were teaching like all paths lead to heaven. I, I'm not. I'm not 100 clear on what he's trying to convey there. You know, you're a good old boy. You're gonna make it and right. all that stuff. God loves you. Don't worry about it. Hey, we got the devil under his feet, and he's laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah. Now there's a, one other thing I kind of wanted to play here, um, regarding this subject. Okay, so this is another little clip from part two of this that I'm, I'm gonna play here, and this is the parable of the sower. And this relates to the subject he was talking he about. He taught in, <clears throat> one of the greatest mysteries was revealed in that parable, that was in Matthew chapter 13, first parable, which was the parable of the sower. <clears throat> there he used four people. 
to explain. The parable of the sower, like he's sowing seeds. The second birth in the parable of the sower. <clears throat> the first one heard, didn't touch him. He left just like he heard it. <clears throat> the second heard it. Second one come, he heard it. It's like they hear the gospel. He received it with joy. Right. And he went on like a house of fire. But slowly he lost it when troubles set in. Yeah, the cares of this life came and, and then he fell away. And the third one came and he heard it and he received it, but he couldn't grasp fully. It was like going through life holding it in one hand and the world in the other. And he was halt between those positions his entire life. Finally, the last one heard it, and he went forth and kept the word in his heart and produced good works and produced what he was supposed to produce. One out of four made it. He was teaching the second birth. Uh, <clears throat> Nicodemus came to him one night. So, it's in other words, people that hear the gospel, the, the example that was given by Jesus in the Bible was you've got four types of grounds that the seed fell on, and the seed being, let's say, the, 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 the message of the gospel um, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of the four types of ground, only one did the seed really take, and then that actually grew and, and, and bore fruit. Some... Um, it, it bore fruit in different ways. Before before I get into that, this John 15 came into my mind. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father's the husbandman. The husbandman would be like the, the farmer taking care of the vine. Okay, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Remember what I said about God coming along and pruning the branch, the branches, because it can bring more fruit? that it may bring forth more fruit okay so when you when you purge the the branch when you when you prune the branch it brings forth more fruit but if you don't bear any fruit the bible says he taketh that branch away and i think this would be an example of the four other types of ground that the seed would fall upon now you're clean through the word which i've spoken unto you so that's one of the ways the washing of the water of the word is how the bible refers to that as that's one of the ways we're, we're made clean is through a, reading the word, abiding the word, hearing the word. Abide in me and I in you. Abide means to live. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. So we, we can only do this through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. And that was the parable of the sower, the fourth ground that brought forth much fruit, you know. Um, and for without me, you can do nothing. If a, a man abide not in me, and again, I think that would be indicative of the other three ground, three types of ground that the seed can fall onto. That would be a man abiding not in Jesus he is cast forth as a branch because if you think about it those seeds would all die they would they would all die and what if you if you're cast forth as a branch you're you're not abiding in the vine and you die okay these are people that that 
got close to salvation, but they never got saved. Now, they can still live the facade of saying, I am a Christian. I did all these great works and I did this and that. And I mean, I, I think Catholics are a great example of something like that where they can maybe look at, look at all these good works I did for you. And he's like, you didn't do it for me. You, you did it for self. You did it for to be saved through your works. You did it for pride or whatever the reason may be. God knows their heart. Okay. I am the vine, you the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. That's not good, obviously. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. And this is why I think it's so important what Bible you're reading. Ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so that ye shall be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And that's how that, you know. Um, if ye keep my commandments, and ye shall... And that's not just like Ten Commandments, and it's not like we're under the law, okay? This isn't about that, but there's... There's a lot of commandments that Jesus gave. There's way more than ten. Okay, I've, I've even got a whole file on the commandments of God. And, and um, but it says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Not to depress you, but that your joy might be full. And I'll just read the, the parable of the sower real quick. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he had sowed, meaning he's sowing the seeds, he's planting them, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell in stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of, of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground, and some brought forth fruit, some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who hath ears, let him hear. Okay, so that, and again, I think you could really apply Matthew 13, those verses in Matthew 13. Um, uh, 13, 3 through 13, 9, this, the parable of the sower in, in John 15, those verses at the start that I just read, they really fit together like uh, like hand in glove, okay? All right, so let's go back to this. Let's see here, okay. Who are you? We know you had to come from God for these works you do, but who are you? You know what Jesus answered him? He said, you have to be born again. He didn't say nothing about it. Nicodemus wasn't asking about it, but he says, and it floored Nicodemus because if we could see that in its original language, in the Hebrew, there's four different words for birth. In Greek, there's three different words. The word that Jesus used to Nicodemus was the one, one word that describes the natural birth. The natural birth is a threefold process, conception, development and delivery and that's what that's what confused that's what confused Nicodemus when he used that word threefold after be he showed that how uh, three of those people had conception 
but two of them never had delivery development and was, didn't reach the point of so the three types of ground they had conception the, the seeds fell in the ground they got in the ground and they started to sprout up but they never were delivered they, they were they were never like a baby uh is is its conception development and delivery the developments in the womb okay i remember what i said before about the ways that the hormonal birth controls can have the potential to work is they do not allow development of a fertilized egg into the womb. Okay, so then therefore the baby is aborted, essentially. So that's kind of, that kind of relates to this. But only one of the four grounds actually brought forth in, in, in would be like a baby being delivered or the plant actually springing forth and bringing forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And, and again, that's all dependent upon John 15, abiding in God, abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if his words abide in you and you in him, then you will be, bring forth much fruit. It's it's just cause and effect. Delivery. There's such thing, he shows that one of them had temporary faith. It lasted only a little while. And the second one had the dead faith, which produced nothing. The third one was the only one the first one uh, allowed the devil to steal the word out of his heart. He never had any conception. Right. The first one never had any conception. Conception. The second one had uh, conception, but it was temporary. Temporary right. faith. He didn't follow through. He wasn't developed. He didn't deliver. wasn't delivered. The third one had dead dead faith. He couldn't turn it loose. Yet he couldn't turn the world loose. He was halt between those two positions his whole life. Trying to do the work of God and do the hang on to the world, you know. Only one made it through. The threefold process. Now you talking about deliver that? You talking about preach that in the Baptist church? <laughs> yeah. Now he goes on, but I've really got to. Um, I, I don't want to get too far off on another subject. I kind of want to keep it on this. So, um, now this is. We've already kind of heard this. This is a reiteration of this. This is a report that I found. Biblically, why millions of people that call themselves Christians are going to hell, essentially, unless they, you know, repent. This is not salvation by works. Uh, Matthew, um, and we've heard this, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will send to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works, and I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We've already kind of discussed that concept. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23 which is what we just read the lord jesus christ is telling us that many would claim to believe on him calling him lord but they will be sent away to everlasting fire uh, many people and that'll probably be that third classification potentially of the parable of the sower these are people that weren't abiding in the word and and thus not allowing they weren't abiding in jesus they weren't abiding in his word um it's like the third type of ground he was talking about where they, they couldn't let hold of the world. They were trying to hold two, two at the same time. So um, they will be sent away to everlasting fire. Many people have a hard time accepting this doctrine because they truly want to believe that all who say they believe on Jesus will go to heaven, but they do not understand that there are many, not few, 
who have a fake faith in which they claim to believe on Christ with their mouths, but they are not of Christ in their hearts. In the passage, you will notice that they claim to have done many wonderful works in the name of Jesus while they were in the world. But alas, Jesus said he never knew them. And this is kind of the, the situation that Howard Pittman was finding himself in when he was at the gates of heaven. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, which actually means narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, um, and many there be that go thereat. So the, the wide way is the norm. That's why when he was in heaven and he observed that 15 minutes, there was only 50 that made it in and 1950 that went to hell because um, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, you know, uh, and many there be the go thereat because straight or also narrow is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and there few there be that find it. Jesus told us that most people will enter into the wide gate of destruction, but a smaller number of them will find the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. Those God is was merciful to us and explained to us in his word the difference between those who receive eternal life and those who receive eternal damnation. And this is and in this book we will learn more about why millions of believers on Jesus will end up in hell. Now I give you the link here and that I can't possibly cover. This file is gigantic i mean i don't know how many pages if i tried to copy and paste this it might be 50 i don't know but um i give you the link because again with this ministry I, I a lot of times i can't go into absolute total uh beyond detail on on subjects like this that are so vast uh but i give you the link if you want to explore this more i think also you dovetail out with what H howard Pittman said hopefully I'll give you a pretty good overview uh, I plead with all readers to take this matter seriously in uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 says, In flaming fire taking vengeance upon them who, that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and, the glory, and from the glory of his power. Uh, Revelation, oh, okay, no, I'm sorry, the, it says, do not be deceived. What I'm about to tell you is no secret. There's nothing I will say that you will not find directly in the Bible. Just like the testimony of Howard Pittman. It's, it's in the Bible. Rather, what I'm about to tell you is unknown to the majority of churchgoers around the world due to their own willful blindness. Um, and many have been deceived by the so-called shepherds, i.e. pastors, who are supposed to be guiding and protecting them, but they're not, obviously. I mean, we looked at what was going on in the Mr. Super Bowl church there. There are millions of Catholics, Baptists, Jehovah Witnesses, Methodists, Mormons, Nazarenes, Lutherans, Wesleyans, Adventists, Anglicans, Presbyterians, Charismatics, and many more. Remember, like there's thousands and thousands of, Christ of denominations that would call themselves Christian, okay? There are many more who are going to end up in hell in the lake of fire to come. If I failed to mention a religious group, do not make the mistake of assuming I belong with them. I do I do not belong to any religious denomination because I belong only to the Lord Jesus Christ and him do I serve. There's no such thing as denominations in scripture. Now, you've heard me say that many, many times. I've done whole teachings on that. He's got a whole paper, and I think audios, called Denominations Are Unbiblical. I give you a link to that. Okay. Denominations all just create confusion, divide. And God is not the author of confusion. 
the Bible talks about that in Romans. They, they saw that denominational thing, which really it's rooted in pride, if you think about it. One saith I'm of Paul's. One saith I'm of Jesus. One saith I'm of Paul. And then he says, is Christ divided? You know, is, is the body of Christ, should it be divided? No, it shouldn't. So they were trying to shut that whole denominational thing down real early in, in the Bible, in like Romans. And, but unfortunately, I think it's been one of the greatest tools that Satan has used to divide the body of Christ and to, man, just do damage to it that you that we can't even really imagine uh then saith jesus unto him get thee hence satan for it is written that thou shalt worship the lord thy god and him only shall thou serve matthew four ten. also do not make the mistake of thinking that i'm about to teach you a false doctrine of works unto salvation because a man is saved by grace through faith as the Holy Scriptures clearly teach. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For you are saved by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. See Howard Pittman could have boasted about his works before the gates. If he had done the works through the Lord. Honestly if he had done the works through the Lord. He probably wouldn't have been, been in that situation. You know what I mean? He, he, if he would have done the works that were rejected by God, but he had done them, they were good works, but if he would have done them through the Lord and unto the Lord with the right heart, then they wouldn't have been wood, hair, stubble. Then there would have been gold, silver, precious. He probably wouldn't have been, had to go to the gates and plead with God. Now, God did extend his life. He, he despite all that, God, ex guess what? He extended his life 40 years. That was 1979. Guess when he died? 2019. 40 years God extended his life, Howard Pittman, from that abdominal aortic aneurysm that should have killed him. You normally don't live from something like that. You're hemorrhaging internally like that. That is, it's a miracle of God even lived. So, you know, and he sent him back to the church with that message. Now, the book that, the main one of the main books he wrote is called placebo and that's the book about basically on the cover of it and you can get it off his website I, oh i posted the link for his website and i hope you can still order this stuff um www howard pitman howard h-o-w-a-r-d i also give you the link here in the pdf one word howard pitman p-i-t-t M-A-N dot O-R-G. That's where you can get his little booklets. Uh, his family's keeping that going. But the book about the church is called Placebo. And on, on, the, on the cover, it shows this. It's like a picture of a church. And the church is like looking real sleepy. He's got a little face on it. And it's like there's a, I think there's like a hand putting like a pill in its mouth. And it's, it's like a sleeping pill, I think. And it's, it's an example of that Howard was shown of how the church is asleep, you know? And I think a lot of it's because they're yoked up with the government. They're, they're, they've got their 501c3. And I don't know if he gets into that in, in that book. I forget. I doubt he does. But I personally think that's one of the main reasons the church 
that should be salt and light and doing all these wonderful things is not doing that. So that, that would be one of the books you would definitely want to order. Okay. Now I don't know about every single bit of Howard Pittman's theology. I don't know. I don't really remember ever reading much, seeing a lot of red flags. So if you read something in there and it doesn't, okay, just, you know, understand we're all, we see through a glass darkly, you know, but then face to face. So, not all of us have every single thing figured out. doesn't mean Howard Pittman was a perfect person once he had this experience and that we're just to blindly follow somebody just because they have it. But I tell you, I think the man is genuine and I do believe his message is real. And, um, all right, let's go further here. Um, going back to this report. Uh, yeah. So the obvious question is if so many people believe by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, why will so many end up in hell? Is Ephesians lying to us? I mean, meaning about, for by grace are you say through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Um, no, it's, it is God's word. Is Jesus lying to us? No, because God cannot lie. Uh, Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. There's no other... There is no other who can save mankind, only the Lord Jesus Christ. By his shed blood are we saved from our sin and promised eternal life. But as I quoted at the beginning, Jesus warned us that there will many who will come in his name, calling him Lord, Lord, meaning that they claim to believe on him and did works in his name, but they're false converts because they do not believe his word. Okay. And I also think that the first three, particularly maybe that third category, um, and then you've just got the, the you've got like wolves in sheep's clothing. You've got the Bible says if, if if the angel can if Satan can appear as an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers can appear as ministers of righteousness. You've got those that are in overt pseudo Christian cults like the Catholics, where they're trusting and keeping the seven sacraments and and um, doing this and praying the rosary and all this. And they're trusting totally in their works at the end of the day, whether they want to admit that or not. And maybe they'll throw Jesus in there, but they got they got to get to Jesus through Mary because she's the co she's the mediatrix between um, man and Jesus. She's the only way to reach Jesus through Mary. Nowhere is that in the Bible. So again, it's it's about you know getting away from religion. It's about getting into the King James Bible and the Word of God and abiding in the Word, and um, not so much denominations because so much of the time denominations are going to lead you down the wrong path. So, um, I, I don't, I hope I'm doing a decent job at this whole, this is a very, very, very vast, complex subject to, to a certain extent. There's just no way I can give, give some simple answer to every single question that could possibly crop up to this. I would say if you have more questions, read these other things like this link here, um, that I'm giving you for the rest of this file about why millions are going to hell because it, I only gave you the first couple pages. It's probably a good 50 pages long. There's another link I gave you about Howard Pittman. Um, it's called Howard Pittman's Testimony, His Near-Death Experience. It's it's longer than what we heard and it was, I think it was a little bit before the interview we heard. Anyway, I give you that. I think it's like an hour and 10 minutes. I also give you the link to his website, howardpittman.org. Um, those are the resources I would point you to because my, my time's almost non-existent and, and 
this is going to do a better job overall of educating you. Now, last thing I want to play. Also, Jesus said in John. Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Okay. So that's another one. Anyway, the last one is what the narrow path really means. How to find it. Few people understand this. So this is a. Oh, let me see here. About 10 minutes, I think here this will this will kind of bookend this teaching and and hopefully kind of round things out for us there is one small gate and his name is jesus but if you go through any other gate you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven you will not be saved there is no hope for you there is no gate except Christ. And all those who miss Christ, miss forgiveness, miss right standing with God, and enter into a devil's hell. When was the last time you heard a sermon on not only the gate, but the way? He says, there is one gate. But after that gate, there is a narrow way. If I were to look at most Baptist life today, most evangelical life, and were to reinterpret this text based on what I see in the lives of professing Christians, I would have to say this. The gate is narrow, but the way is broad that leads to life. I think he's saying that like as an indictment toward a lot of the Baptists that he knows, they, they say they're on the narrow way, but their their lifestyle shows that they're actually on the broad way. So it's not matching up. They, they, they say they're in the narrow way, but when you look at their life, it looks as though they're on the broad way. My dear friend, a person is saved through faith in Jesus Christ. But most people today are not trusting in Christ. They're trusting in a decision they made a long time ago. They're trusting in the fact that they passed through certain evangelical hoops and said yes at every question that was asked them. Do you know you're a sinner? Yes. Do you want to go to heaven? Yes. Do you want to ask Jesus to come into your heart? Yes. Did you ask him to come into your heart? Yes. Then you're saved. That is not scriptural at all. It's not found in scripture at all. It's not found in church history at all. But it is the way we do evangelism today. And that is why the great majority of people in America and in the church believe themselves saved when in fact they are not. And they prove they are not because although they claim to have walked through that one small gate, they live in the broad way. They look like the world. They act like the world. They talk like the world. And, and again, that's like that whole Super Bowl thing we played. That is, see, that, that's why I kind of played that before the Howard Pittman and before these other things. Because it's like, that is a, if you want to see a really, really good example of that concept that he just laid out. An extreme example. A one where there's no uh, question about their living in the broad way. That's a, a very extreme. Now, obviously, there's different shades of that. That is probably the most extreme way I've ever seen people that call themselves Christians particularly behaving themselves in a church. Life 
lifestyle will be the very thing that condemns them on the day of judgment. But today, is it not true? Who can stand up and say any different? That the great majority of people, not only outside of the church, but inside of the church, say, yes, I've passed through that small gate. Yes, I've believed in Jesus Christ. But when you look at their life, they live just like the world. They have the same desires of the world. The only thing they do is they're religious and go to church on Sunday. But when you look at their life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, there's no Christ. And when you look about their conversation and their desires and their dreams, and their passion, there is no Christ. For the word of, of the cross is foolishness unto them those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, these, this isn't King James, but I think you can get the gist of it. And when asked about the confidence of their salvation, they say, I prayed that prayer. They're trusting in a prayer. I made my decision. They're trusting in a decision. I believed at that moment. They're trusting in the sincerity of their decision. Instead of doing as our forefathers did, how do you know you're saved? I am looking unto Jesus Christ and have great assurance because I can see the changes he has wrought in my life and the way he disciplines me zealously and guards my life. Okay, and that's the disciplines me and zealously guards my life. Yeah, that's, that's a whole other thing. I look at, I mean, I can look at all the times that God's protected me in Taylor. And, and I mean, that is def now God, it's not to say though, that when I was unsaved, I didn't see a lot of that too. When I look back, I look at the insane stuff I did when I was unsaved that I should have been dead or maybe in jail, like so many times over. And and I mean like getting on the road intoxicated stuff like that and I never all the times that I did that I never hurt anybody thank God um, the time I died on that football field from that um, overdose of that GHB gamma hydroxybutyrate that uh, uh, drug that turned into the I, I got into that at the when they were selling it in health food stores you could buy it in health food stores and um, I was using it to party. And I died on the football field. Uh, high school football game. I was watching Bishop Rowe and Estero down in Fort Myers, Florida. My, Bishop Rowe is my school. It's a Catholic high school I went to. And that was before I was... It's probably a couple couple years before I was saved. And, um, yeah, I died on the football field. I, I gave um, my friend... He had never done it. And I put a scoop in a beer gave one him and me drank it we walked into the game we didn't feel anything and i said oh let's go do another scoop now i'd done this a lot before but i never put it in something carbonated and it has some kind of chemical reaction because as soon as you put it in the beer it like caused the beer to foam over i i'd always done it i think either in i don't know either liquor or fruit juice or whatever and the second time we did it it foamed over again we drank it we walked in there and to this football game and I remember we were, the last thing I remember is we were standing on the side of the field and they're playing the game and then all of a sudden it was like instantly later I wake up in an emergency room and I've got every tube thank God not a catheter but everything about being I got a chest tube I got IVs I got every, I was strapped down to a gurney I came off the gurney 
like I was, um, I didn't know where I was. I, now, if I went to hell, I don't remember it because <laughs> I was not saved. But I had been out for, mm, I don't know, a couple hours maybe, maybe more, I don't know. They had to bring us back to life. They had to defibrillate us, both of us, me and my friend Jerry, back to life. We were dead, flatlined. And thank God there was an ambulance already there at the stadium just in case somebody got injured during a game. If that ambulance wouldn't have been there, I mean, I guess God could have saved us some other way, but I think we would have both been indebted in hell. We both made it. Jerry's not saved. I, um, I, I pray for him. Uh, he's still not saved, but um, he knows where I stand. Uh, but um, yeah, we shouldn't have lived. We should not have lived. And I, I came out of that, and um, you would have thought that would have woke me up, but you know, I kind of still continued my way. Now I never did GHB. And, now I've seen documentaries on that stuff on all the havoc it wreaked on a lot of people's lives. It's kind of afterward, seeing other things on it, but man, that stuff's bad news. Um, but it was marketed as a, as a, like a supplement for like bodybuilding to help you secrete growth hormone and stuff like that, but it had this other side effect. And yeah, I mean that was one of the many times that God, and I've heard that referred to as prevenient grace, meaning it's the grace that God extends to you prior to your conversion unto salvation, in His mercy. Well, let me tell you, God had. Tons and tons and tons of provenient grace on my life before I got saved because I, I should not have been able, I should not be here. There's just no way. So, um, but yeah, the way he, he disciplines my life zealously and guards my life. Discipline is in reference back to what Howard Pittman said about um, he's burning the chafe off. That's, that's, that's a sign. Um, also, the changes that he's brought in your life i mean are you are, have you seen a change since you got saved i mean that's a big one i mean if, if you i mean literally if the holy spirit's living inside you then you should see changes it doesn't mean again you're going to walk around in sinless perfection although we should strive for that if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us and what paul talks about oh what your, what a wretch of a man that i am who should deliver me from the body of this death now again that doesn't give us a liberty liberty to sin but the only one that ever walked the planet in sinless perfection was Jesus. Okay, so, um, but we should we should see changes and we should see chastening. And as the chastening comes and the pruning comes, remember that's pruning off the dead parts of, of the branch that Jesus does. The husbandman actually is the father that prunes us, it sounds like, according to John 15 that we just read earlier. And um, then you'll bear more fruit. And, you know, that's the way it should work. My life and the way he disciplines me zealously and guards my life. They've got a little bit of religion. They go to church on Sundays. They're not passionate about the Word of God. They're not passionate about knowing Christ. They're not convicted of sin. They never weep over the sin in their life. They're never concerned about genuine fellowship with other believers. But they're in church every Sunday and they're pretty moral. Well, by their standards, they feel like they're pretty moral. Do not grow in the things of God. 
nor in a passion toward God. That's the most dangerous type, and our church are filled with people. And, and trying to really be in the Word, uh, preferably starting off your day, being in the Word every day in prayer, is really you're laying the foundation for the day. You know. Now, listen, I've had I have days where I, that's not the case. I I something whatever, and I got to get up and 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 something comes up, and I don't do that. And those are typically days that are not good days for me. You know what I mean? That's typically days. Does it mean I'm unsaved? No, it does not mean that. Uh, it's just that, you know, abiding in Jesus and abiding in the vine and his words abiding in you, it's something that's preferably should be an everyday thing, you know, and really throughout the day, you should be trying to commune with the Lord and, and these types of things as well. That salvation is a supernatural work of God. It is a recreating of the heart of the very core and essence of a human being. And if that person's heart or core has been transformed, their lifestyle will be transformed. Right. I always often hear people say, well, you don't, you, you don't know what's in my heart. But the Bible says, don't have to know what's in your heart. It comes out of your mouth. That's why on Judgment Day it says they will be judged for their words. Because all their words come forth out of their heart. You can't judge a book by its cover, Pastor. Jesus didn't say that. He said just the opposite. Jesus said you can judge a book by its cover. You will know them by their fruits. Well, I may not live like a Christian, but in my heart I love... Do you know what the heart is? The heart in Scripture represents the very core essence of a human being. It is what a human being really is. When a man dies, that he's not there anymore. If you're ever there when someone dies, you just notice the body seems to just turn to clay, an inanimate thing. The moment that man breathes his last, the heart is a representation of the centrality of everything you are. So this is what you're telling me when you say, I may not look like a Christian, but in my heart, I love Jesus. What you're saying is Jesus Christ has changed the entire core of my being, and the entire core of my being is dedicated and in love with Jesus Christ, but it's not going to affect any other part of my life. Does that sound right to you? And in this case, it would really be where the Bible verses... The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That That's where that a Bible verse like that would be really applicable. Whereas you can be, if, if your heart is, is in the Lord and, and you're being led of the Lord, yeah, your heart it doesn't necessarily have to deceive you, in, in other words. You know, if you're led of the Lord, it's not going to do that. But in this context that he's talking about, that other verse would, would be applicable. When Christ taught, the great rabbi as he was, he sat down. He was sitting there. A lot of times Christ, I mean, Christ is amazing. The personification of the book of Proverbs. You did not want to get into an argument with this man. And he sits there and he looks at them. You will know them by their fruits. Now let me ask you a question. Grapes aren't found on thorn trees, are they? 
And I can just hear the people, you know, Jesus, you're a carpenter and all that. You don't know a whole lot about agriculture, but you're right on the money right there. You're not going to find grapes on thorn trees, thorn bushes. It's got thorns on it, Jesus is not going to bear grapes. Well, you're not going to find thorns on a fig tree, right? There you go, Jesus. You're on the mark. What you're saying is true. Jesus, if anybody comes to you saying they've got a fig tree and it's got thorns on it, don't listen to them. They're either lying or they're insane. Jesus said, then in the same way, anyone who comes to me saying they're a Christian and they don't look like one, they're either lying or insane. You see how Jesus would catch men? Very dangerous debater, this man. Let me give you an example. I, this is an illustration I've used a million times. Let's say I arrive here late. The pastor's all upset. Everyone's angry with me. And I walk in the door. I'm late. I'm dressed like this. My hair's as combed as it gets. And, and the pastor goes, well, Brother Washer, what's the problem? You're half an hour late. Don't you appreciate the opportunity to preach in this church? I mean, the people have been waiting here and you just show up late. And I say, oh, brother, I'm sorry, but let me explain. I was coming down the highway here and uh, had a flat tire and had to take the lug nut off the tire. And when I took it off, well, it rolled out into the middle of the highway and I just wasn't thinking. So I walked out there into the highway and I picked up the lug nut. And when I stood up, there was a, a log truck weighing 30 tons going 120 miles an hour. And it was like five feet in front of me and it ran me over. And so that's why I'm late. He's going to say, you're a liar or you're insane. And I go, no, really, why can't you accept my word? He goes, you're out of your mind or you're an immoral man. And I say, but why? Explain this to me. He goes, it's impossible to have an encounter with a logging truck and not be changed. Then why is it possible for you to have an encounter with God and remain the same? Right. Yeah. Behold the power of your God, not even the strength of a truck. Okay, so I hope that, like I said, put like a bookend on this particular teaching. I do think this is either, you know, depending on how you look at it, either the most important, if, you know, I'm not going to put it ahead of the salvation teaching I've done. Again, that's the core of this. And that's, if you go to contendingfortruth.com, there's a tab in the upper right part. It says true salvation. And that's, a, I think it's a very, very complete teaching on salvation. I, I've got as much Bible in there about as anybody I've, I've ever seen regarding that subject. I just let the Bible do its own talking, pretty much. And then other teachings behind that are listed there, like baptism and the Lord's Supper and overcoming and bearing the cross of Christ. This, this teaching here um, really should be a part of that, kind of afterward type thing um because it's so important you know what we're talking about here so anyway i don't know if i'm going to do a study next week i was going to take this week off i did get a newsletter up this week as well but um i may then take next week off in regard to posting a study i don't know we'll just see what happens so god bless you and lord willing we will see you in the next audio